This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Well, I love the Word of God. And the, the longer I live, the older I get, the more I recognize how much I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so one of the things that I love about the Word of God is it says that the Word of God, it talks about itself, and it says it's alive and powerful. It's alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. So how many of you recognize you can read through a scripture and you can think you know it, and you can go back to that passage of scripture and God will reveal something entirely new to you, right? So I just want to encourage you this morning as we dive in to 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is one of the top 10 Bible stories of all time. You've known it since you were probably a kid, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit has something new for everybody here today, something to bring a freedom about for everybody here today. So please join me, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to dive into the story of David and Goliath, and I believe some giants are coming down this morning. Amen? Amen? So let's dive into that. When we go into 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find that the Israelites are encamped in a valley called Ella, and the Philistines are there, and they're both camped out on two different mountainsides. So they're, they're kind of at a standstill at war. Neither one is progressing because if one army comes down, they lose the advantage to the other army. So they're kind of at the standstill. They're all done up and ready for battle. They've got their armor on, but they're just kind of taunting each other. And they're just kind of yelling, and, and, and it's not moving anywhere. So the Philistines send out who they call their champion, who's Goliath. And the Bible tells us he was six cubits in a span. What is six cubits in a span? It's about nine and a half feet tall. And this giant goes out day and night, and he's taunting the Israelites. He's fully clad in bronze from head to toe. He's got a bronze helmet. He's got a coat of mail on. His legs are clad in bronze. He's got a bronze javelin between his shoulders. It says the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and the shield bearer went before him. And he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. He appeared to have no vulnerabilities, and he just magnified himself. He just made himself look so much bigger than what he was. He said, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if we prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these words, they were greatly dismayed and greatly afraid. I want you to recognize the pattern in this story. See, sometimes the giants in our life don't show up in a way that we can just go, oh, that's a giant, right? Sometimes they show up like serpents. We don't recognize them right away. But I want you to recognize a pattern in this story. It's going to come up time and again. It's going to be repeated time and again. The enemy always tries to take you out by attacking your identity. 
He always tries to magnify himself and take you out by attacking your identity. He says, aren't you the servants of Saul? Aren't you slaves to the king? He was discouraging them, disorientating them to their true identity. Do you know who they were? They were God's chosen people. Do you know who you are? You are God's chosen people. Do you know that you're victors and not victims? The enemy tries to flip that, but you're God's chosen people called by God, the army of the Lord. But what Goliath did was effective, and Saul and Israel were greatly afraid. They lost their courage. They lost their resolution. They were disappointed. They didn't know how to proceed. And for 40 days and 40 nights, this taunting went on. He was wearing at them. He was jabbing at them. He was threatening them. He was persisting. And I got to tell you something. Whenever you see giants in the Old Testament, they're always there standing between God's people and the promise that's ahead. Those giants got to come down because they're always there. They're making big stuff of themselves, but they're standing right in front of the next thing God has for them. And some of you this morning, you think, oh my gosh, I am facing a giant. And I don't know, I'm paralyzed with fear right now. But God is saying to you, listen, take courage. Because just beyond that giant is the next thing I have for you. Just beyond that giant is the greater capacity I have for you. Just beyond that giant is, is the greater outreach that I have for you. And he's talking to you this morning, church, as individuals, but he's also talking to us this morning as a church body. I really believe God is talking to us today as a church body. Whenever those giants are referenced, they're always standing between God's God's people and God's promise for expansion. Amen. So here's some ideas of how I think sometimes giants show up in our lives. I've titled the message this morning, Lions, Bears, and Giants. If you want to, you could throw in serpents too, because the more I think about it, I think sometimes, you know what, that enemy just shows up like a sneaky serpent. But lions, bears, and giants. And these are some of the ways that I see as a pattern that the enemy tries to take us out through discouragement, through deception, through distraction, through doubt, and through delay. God gives you a great big promise. You've had a prophetic word. You've got this rumbling in your heart. You know God created you for something greater, and that delay is taking place, and you're wondering what's happened. Now, the delay isn't always an enemy tactic. Sometimes God is establishing things in your life so that when you go forward, you go forth with strength. But that delay, sometimes the enemy comes in and discourages you and says, did God really say? Did God really say? And you start to question it. But if you can recognize that these are forms of giants, and when your spirit goes down that path that you're feeling discouraged or you're feeling distracted about something, God called you to this, but this is kind of taking you off course, or you're starting to doubt the word of God, or you're questioning, why God? Why is this taking so long? And you bring that back into alignment. How do we counter that? Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We take every thought captive, amen? And we transform it according to the word of God. There's always competing voices. There's always competing voices trying to counter the word of God. But you know what? We can stand on the truth of what God says. 
and we can keep that before us and run our race. And there is a standard of truth. I want to declare that this morning. Make no doubt about it. There is a standard of truth. We live in a society where truth is relative. I have my truth. You have your truth. You live your truth. You do what's right for you. Guess what? There is a standard of truth. And Jesus Christ came and he gave his life and he rose again and he's alive today. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can bet your bottom dollar on it that Jesus is worth following. Amen? He's worth building your life on. He is the standard of truth. Amen? So let's not compromise. Now we move on in our story. It says David was the son of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. David was the youngest of the eight. And Jesse was old. He wasn't out at battle. David's three oldest brothers went out to battle. And David was going back and forth between shepherding and feeding the sheep and just checking to see how the war was going. And one day Jesse says to David, David, why don't you uh, go check on your brothers? Here's some supplies. Here's some grain. Here's some loaves of bread, some cheeses. Go check on them. Bring back word as to how the battle's going. That was all David was supposed to do. Just go check and bring back word. So it says in the word that David rose early in the morning He left his sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in a battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. And while he was talking to them, Goliath came out. And he said his spiel, and he spoke the same words that he was speaking. And David heard all of them. And the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And so David's taking this in, okay? He's seeing God's army. He's going out, checking with his big brothers, and he's looking at this army, all clad and ready for battle. And then he sees Goliath come out, and he watches the army of God just run in fear. He's like, what is going on? And he hears the men of Israel say, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich, he'll give him his daughter, and he and his father's house will be tax-free. Like this man, anybody who takes out that giant, he's going to be living on easy street from here on out, right? That's a pretty good reward, right? How many of you would love to be tax-free, you and your household? I mean, just that, right? So David takes that into account. He's like, so that's the reward. What a motivating factor, right? You've had 40 days and 40 nights of this giant coming out to strategize, to analyze where's his weak spot? Where is he not clad in bronze? How can I take him out? You've had 40 days and 40 nights and you've got this motivating factor, but guess what? It wasn't working. And why wasn't it working? Because they were operating in fear. And here's what's true about fear. Fear will be a paralytic to you. And it will cause disorganized, debilitating, and disorientated thought processes. If you're having problems with a disorganized, debilitating, or disorientating thought process, it's likely the enemy's got you in a state of fear. And I got to tell you, there was a time where I had that. And I was just, I, I was undone. I was beside myself. And I had a friend that came alongside of me. And I was sharing my thoughts, trying to kind of be a verbal processor, if you can imagine. I kind of do that. And she looked at me and she said, you are in fear. And as soon as she said it, it was clear as day. And it left me because it was just somebody declared to me like, this is the truth. You're in fear. Sorry about that. And sometimes if we can just recognize that giant, 
we can take him out. And so we need to recognize that. So David, he walks around, he goes, so what should, what's going to be done for the guy that kills this guy? And it gets repeated to him again and again. And I don't think David was saying it because he was interested in the reward. I think he was kind of stirring up the pot among the army. Like, so you guys, you're, you're like the men. Like, so what's going to be done? Who's going to lay hold of that? And, and people are repeating it, but his brother comes up to him and his brother says, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David looks at him and goes, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And so there's a couple things that I want you to grab hold of just right there in that scripture. Is that again, what happens to David? His, his dad, Jesse, already knows he's been anointed as king. He sends him to the battlefield, not to do battle, just go be a gopher, deliver these supplies. He doesn't call him according to his calling. He gets down to the battlefield. His brother, Eliab, is already questioning his motives. What are you doing here? and already discrediting. Why don't you just go take care of those sheep? Again, do you see where the enemy is attacking his identity? Do you see where the enemy is attacking his calling? Let's just be wise to the ways that the enemy tries to attack, amen? But David's heart is not motivated by the reward. His heart is motivated by advancing the kingdom. That's what motivates his heart. How much more yours and my heart should be motivated by, is there not a cause to advance the kingdom? Is there not a cause to take out this giant? And then Eliab attacks his identity and he says, you know, you're just a kid, go back and take care of those sheep. I want to encourage you this morning. That didn't shake David. He didn't try to waste his time to try to clarify something with his brother. No, 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 you misunderstand my motives. I got to clarify this misunderstanding. He lived peaceably with his brother, but he, but he did not give way to distraction and allow insecurities to take over. Do you get that? He didn't get distracted by trying to clarify insecurities or negotiate somebody else's opinion of him. He was solid in what God had done in his life. Your qualifications do not define how God can move through you. Your obedience defines how God can move through you. Amen? So in Proverbs 16, 32, we see that it says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. David did not get distracted by his brother's opinion. He didn't waste time and energy trying to clarify that. I don't know about you. I've struggled with that. I'll just be honest. Sometimes I, I just want everybody to like me. <laughs> So try to go make it, try to go fix it. God wants us to live peaceably, but we shouldn't be wasting our time and energy. If God's called you to do something, go do it. You're going to be misunderstood. You just need to know that. The hard word to take, huh? You're going to be misunderstood at times, but you need to be obedient in what God's called you to do. Don't get distracted. Don't give way to discouragement. David broke through that with resolution and determination to advance the kingdom because there's a cause. And the word of God says that he, because he didn't engage in that, he is mightier than those who take a city. So as he's doing all this business in the camp, word gets back to Saul that this guy is talking about taking out the giant. So Saul calls David to him and David shows up and he says, just boldly, 
David walks in and says, let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul, what is his reaction? Right away, identifies, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. Where do we see there? A little bit of questioning about his identity, right? Do you agree? Okay. But David says to Saul, I love this. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said, go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul calls out the obvious. David's a youth, apparently inexperienced, the youngest of his family. He's got a whole army of men that are trained warriors that can't take out Goliath. But David just goes, now, let me give you my resume. See, out in the field, when nobody else was watching, I was taking time to get to know the Lord. And in that time, I got to know his power in my life. And those things that rose up against me, the lion and the bear, when they attacked me, the spirit of God came on me and I moved in power and might and I took them down. And God says, you know what? Some of you feel like you're out in the field right now. You're the shepherd boy that's not being recognized. Nobody's around and they're seeing what we're doing. And you're wondering if the mundane is worth it. But if you're faithful in the mundane, it's in those times that God is establishing his character in you. It's those times that God is building his truth in you. It's in those times that God is building your testimony so that you're prepared for the next thing. You will face giants. There is no doubt about it. You are designed to face giants. You are destined to take out giants. And right now, some of you are in the field and there are bears and lions coming at you and you're taking them down by their beard and you're destroying them and God is establishing your testimony. God does not waste one thing in your life. He builds on it. He builds on it. He builds on it. When you trust in the Lord and you're faithful to him and you're obedient to him, he continues to build on everything in your life. Not one thing goes to waste. You think, oh, I'm in a dead-end job. My marriage isn't where I want it to be. Things aren't, aren't where I thought I should be farther along in life than this. That spoke to somebody. And God is saying, stay faithful. Stay faithful. All I'm asking you to do is stay faithful. Stay obedient, because just you wait. This thing is preparing you for the next thing. And if you were to know the end from the beginning like God does, it would absolutely destroy you. It would destroy you. But God has put big dreams in your heart. I believe I'm talking to a congregation of Davids this morning. I have no doubt. And God has put big dreams in your heart. And you keep offering up that dream. But God, why why isn't this happening yet? Or, Or what's going on? Why am I still in this situation? And God says, you know what? That big dream in your heart is really just a taste of what I have for you. Because if you knew the whole thing, It'd take you out, but you stay faithful in this thing right now, and I'm going to continue to build in your life. I'm going to continue to build that character, that perseverance, that strength, that David can walk into Saul and say, let no man's heart fail him. We got this. You know why? Because God established things in his life. Amen. It was in the field. It was in that 
private place, what God has done for you, he's going to use it to do it through you, to deliver other people. Amen? Amen. So the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, but it was very, very evident in David in a tangible way. And that's true of you and I. What God is doing through you, to you, he's going to do through you. And what the Apostle Paul teaches us is that he's doing that so that we can be living letters recognized and read by everyone. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3 says, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. So here's what I've learned in going to school. A lot of you know that I'm working on my master's in school. And every paper I write... Everything I do, every assignment is always based on the evidence. What does the evidence show? What does the evidence show? My son, Caleb, he's going to school. He's taking an Old Testament survey class at South Dakota State University. And you know what they keep bringing up? They bring up the Bible and they bring up the evidence. Do you know what the world is looking for? They're looking for the evidence. They have, they're, they're right to look for that. They're right to look for that. Do you know where the evidence lies? You and me. You and me, we're the living letters. We are the evidence of the Most High God. And so when we're walking faithfully and patiently with what God has for us, we are the, we are the evidence of his glory, amen? I'll, I'll sign me up. <laughs> I wanna be that, amen? So Saul clothed David with his armor. Here's another lesson that we can take when taking out giants. Saul clothed David with his armor. I think Saul had a little bit of compassion. Well, okay, kid. I think you got something here. <laughs> looks like you got a good resume, and it looks like uh, looks to me like you uh, got the spirit of God on you. But <laughs> the guy's nine nine and a half feet tall. <laughs> Let's give you some armor. And he clothes David with his armor. Here's the thing about Saul. Saul was. It says in the Bible he was a head above the rest. He was the tallest Israelite there, <laughs> and David was a 15 year old kid. So I'm, I'm guessing like his coat of arm, you know, like things were hanging wrong and the legs were too long. I mean, he couldn't walk in it. And, and David's tried it on. He says, I can't wear this. I, I haven't tested them. He couldn't wear Saul's armor because it was an improper fit. The king didn't know at the time, Saul didn't know at the time that he was giving his armor to his successor. He didn't realize at the time that I'm donning my armor on my successor but what David recognized is, hmm, I'm a different kind of king. I can't wear this. It doesn't fit. You see, God called me to be a different kind of king. I'm going to operate in obedience. I'm going to operate with a heart that's tender to the things of God. So, so David took off his armor. There's, some, there's a lesson we can learn there. Sometimes we look at other people's gifts. We look at other people's journeys. We get kind of like, well, why can't I do something like that? We want to take on their style. We want to take on their giftings. And, and God says, no, I've called you to be an ear. And we need an ear in the body of Christ. And please don't try to be the big toe because it just doesn't fit. We need the big toe to be the big toe. And we need the heart to be the heart. We need the mouth to be the mouth. But all of you have a position in this body and we need you activated because without you, we're, we're just gimpy. But we need that. And it's not to try to imitate or mimic or, or fit into somebody else's gift or fit into somebody else's armor. God's called you uniquely and specifically with a specific calling, amen? So we need you to walk into that. So David goes out. He's brave. He's courageous. He's confident. He's bold. He's humble. And he's trusting God 
for his deliverance. But I want you to know, God does not leave us without armament, okay? (laughs) He doesn't leave us without armament. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We don't always see our giant just manifest as a giant. Sometimes it's the principalities, it's the cultural norms. It's the things that the world is trying to tell us is true and how we should live. And we go back to the plumb line. And what does God say? What does God's word say? So we take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, we gird our waist with the belt of truth. You know what? Sometimes we better tighten up that belt of truth. In today's day and age, we better be tightening up that belt of truth. And the breastplate of righteousness shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take on the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you, God, for your word that we can trust it. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Put on the whole armor of God. So Saul's armor, it was an ill fit. David decided, I'll just walk in the truth I know about God and be confident in that. So uh, David was marked and fitted for the throne and calling that God specifically had for him, as are you. You are specifically and purposely and uniquely designed and destined not to be distracted with somebody else's armor. Continue to walk in the faithfulness and uprightness and integrity that God's given you to walk. So then what does David do? He goes down to the brook. He picks out five smooth stones. He puts them in his shepherd's bag and he goes down to the Philistine. And so the Philistine comes and he has his shield bearer that goes ahead of him. So it's already not an even fight. You understand that. It's two against one because Goliath has a a shield bearer ahead of him. He's clad from top to bottom with bronze, right? And and it says in the Bible, I think it's so funny, the Philistine looked at David and he disdained him for he was young, ruddy, and good looking. (laughs) Some people might just disdain you because you're good looking. Just keep on keeping on. (laughs) But he says to him, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He didn't shrink back. He ran towards that enemy. And then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over Goliath with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. 
So I want I want this is another great section of scripture. I want you to get some nuggets out of this, okay? So the first thing, what does Goliath do? He attacks David's identity. You saw it. You saw the pattern. He kind of has the same mode of operation, doesn't he? He attacks the truth that lies in David, and David clung to his truth. He just shook it off, and he said, forget, I know what the truth is. I know what God's done in my life. And then David uses a sling and five smooth stones. Now, when I was a kid, there was this image of a sling that was kind of Y-shaped with a stick like you did, doing right? Like that. I want to tell you a little bit about the sling. It pays to really study the word and get context and learn about it. Here's what the thing was that I learned about the sling. The sling was used with great accuracy as a weapon of war. The Benjamites, interestingly enough, Saul was was from the tribe of Benjamin. The Benjamites were so accurate that they were able to split a hair with it. Judges chapter 20, verse 16, talks about 700 Benjamites, all left-handed, that they could use the sling and they could hit a hair's breadth with it, yards, meters and meters away, okay? So it was so accurate that they were able to split a hair with it. It consisted of a small leather pouch. It was whirled around the head. And when one end was released, it was sending the stone with such great velocity. It was similar to the velocity of a 45 caliber pistol. Is that pretty good? Pretty good. That's pretty good. It was similar to the velocity of a 45 caliber pistol. I had to see if my son-in-law was paying attention. So he is. All right. So he had a sling and five smooth stones. Some people would look at a sling and five smooth stones and they say, I got nothing. I got nothing. The enemy tries to, to convey to us that you just don't have enough. You don't have what it takes. But do you know what? Someone might look at you and say, man, <laughs> their head is full of rocks. You can say, well, God can do a lot with rocks. I'll commit those rocks to him and I'll trust him to be my victory. Amen. So a lot of times it's just taking a step back and saying, God, you know what I got. So I'm going to lift it up to you. I'm going to surrender it to you, and I'm going to trust your faithfulness in this. But what David had was he had a mighty weapon. And he was looking at the Israelites when he came down to camp, and he's like, what? He, he's defying the army of God? You have 40 days and 40 nights? You, you, you're Benjamites? You're aware of how, you know, from a distance? And he put it together because... Because he knew what God could do. He had the Spirit of God resting on him. He walked in the truth of God. He knew that he could commit whatever he had to the Lord, and the Lord would make him succeed. Amen? That's a truth that we can get. Grab a hold of that. The enemy came at David with physical power. He was loud. He had a sword. He had a spear. He had a javelin. But David came at the enemy with the Spirit and the power of God. And then, get this. He used the weapon that was formed for his destruction to take out the enemy. Some of you need to get that. It was so interesting because Paul exhorted today. He said he came against the spirit of addiction. And you know what? As I was preparing this message, I saw people with the spirit of addiction. I saw you getting delivered and being the vessel to help deliver others. The thing that the enemy designed to take you out, you can grab hold of that weapon and take out the enemy in others' lives. Amen. I see some of you that you're just struggling with like uh, insecurities and you're, this message is speaking to you. You're like, what? The enemy's been a 
attacking my identity for decades. And you're like, not anymore, Satan. Not anymore. I'm grabbing a hold of the truth of the, the, of the word of God. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I am a child of the most high God. I'm called. I'm designed. I'm created to take out giants. And you grab a hold of that and you use it to have a ripple effect on other people. Amen? Amen? You can grab hold of what the enemy tried to use to destroy you, to push back the, the realms of hell. Amen? All right. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It says in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Amen. That is a good word. And why is this? Why is this that God does it? David said that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Whenever God does something in your life, there is always a purpose, a purpose to prove his faithfulness to you, but also to demonstrate to all the earth of his love and his faithfulness. Your trials and challenges are not necessarily sent by God. Sometimes we just do a good job getting ourselves into those, amen? But when we submit to God, God says, I can flow through you, deliver you, but also be a testimony to others. I want to point out something else. It says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled, and the Israelites pursued them. The enemy is not a negotiator. There is kind of this um, kind of this false lie that if you just kind of live a mediocre life and you don't create too many waves, maybe the enemy will leave you alone. And that's a lie. What will happen is you'll miss your calling. You'll miss your destiny. And instead, if you just pursue thing, the things of God, the enemy is not a negotiator. He's not going to keep his word. So God has called you. He's designed you. He's destined you to reach your generation and to build a platform to launch the next. I want you to recognize this. I think sometimes we get caught up in this idea that, well, I'll, I'll, I'll engage after I after I, I meet this benchmark in life. I'll engage once the kids are in school. I'll engage more once the kids are out of school. I'll engage more once I'm retired. I'll engage more, and then all of a sudden, guess what? We don't have any more time left. Life goes really, really fast. And now that like, I'm at the midway point, I'm like, holy cats, it's going really, really fast. And you know what it's creating inside of me? It's creating a greater sense of urgency. Church, I want you to have a greater sense of urgency because we don't have much time. And we're responsible. It's our responsibility to reach our generation, but also to set the platform for the next generation. A whole other sermon is found in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Guess what shows up in 2 Samuel chapter 21? Four more giants. And David's out on the battlefield, and guess what happens? He gets faint. And one of Goliath's sons comes, and he sees an opportunity. He says, I'm going to take him out. And then one of David's men comes alongside, and he says, oh, no, not on my watch. Not on my watch. And he kills that giant, that son of Goliath. And then there's another battle, and there's, there's the brother of Goliath, and there's another son. There's three more battles, and guess what? Three more of David's men take out the giants. What was uncommon, what was fearful for the Israelite army, all of a sudden, this is who we are. We're giant slayers. It caused a ripple effect. David took ground, but he set up the, the platform for the next generation. 
It wasn't just about his generation. He set up the platform for the next generation. Amen? That's who I want to be. That's what I want to be about. So Galatians 6, 9, and I know that's what God wants you to be about. It's, it's really about what God wants his church to be about. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap the harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up front and um, ask you all to stand with me. I hope you got something out of this morning, but if you didn't, I did. <laughs> it pays to study the Word of God. It pays to get context. It pays to get those truths in your heart. But I want to tell you something. In all of this morning, there's one name that's been exalted in this house today, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. And he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to seek and save, to redeem that which was lost. And I, I believe this morning that there's been opportunity, that there's things that have stirred up in your heart. Maybe it was a vision or something greater. And, um, and you're like, oh, I just want, I, I want that. I want to be a giant slayer. Well, the first step to being a giant slayer, the first step to taking out those things is to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And so right now, we just want to give opportunity for that, just to commit your life to Jesus. And so if you've never just said, Lord, I surrender. This morning is your morning. And maybe there's some things that you're just like, yeah, my identity has been attacked in countless ways. But God, I understand that you can do amazing things with a surrendered life. And so Lord, I surrender to you. I'm just going to lead you into prayer right now. And I'm just going to ask you that you would repeat after me if that's you this morning. And, and one more thing that I'm going to ask you to do is we'll have the altar ministry workers come up and join us as well, if, if you could, please, right now. And, um, you know, at the end of the service, if, if this is your chance, if this is your moment to give your life to Christ, I just want to encourage you to step out and come and talk with one of these altar ministry workers and just tell them that you did that and let them pray over you. Just let them pray a blessing over you and, and just to, to seal that because when you confess, the Holy Spirit just shows up. He's faithful to seal the, what, you've, what you've committed to the Lord. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And he came back to life with resurrection power. I don't want to live apart from you anymore. I ask for your forgiveness. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me strength to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I was preparing this message, I just I just knew it was going to speak to people on all sorts of capacities in different ways. You know, you can preach one message and it can be received 150 or 200 different ways. And I know that there are some people here that you've just been dealing with that internal struggle. You've been dealing with things out in the field. You've been dealing with things externally. And, and, and maybe there's something rumbling in your heart. I sure hope there is. That God, I want church to be bigger. I want to advance your kingdom in a greater capacity. And so I just come against the spirit of discouragement. I come against the spirit of deception. I come against distraction and doubt in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for patience in the delay. 
and for trust in the delay. And so, Lord, right now, is it okay if I just pray over our church body? If you just want to raise one hand toward heaven or put your hand on your heart. Father, I ask for your truth to rise up in us in a greater capacity, that we would boldly take down strongholds by the power of your Spirit. I declare we will not allow fear, doubt, or mediocrity to proceed to taunt us, paralyze us, or write us off as insignificant. When there's an opportunity to advance the kingdom, we lay hold of it with passion and purpose. We partner and obey you to walk out the calling and purposes that you have for us. We are determined to take ground and advance your kingdom in spirit and in truth. We eagerly lay hold of opportunities and your provision to bring heaven to earth in our generation. We own that responsibility. We carry that fire in our bones and we ask that you would increase our capacity, God. I thank you, God, that as we face the enemy, we will not be moved. We will not be shaken for you are God and our confidence is in you and your glory flowing through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord praise. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320 759 1400 at Church for the Harvest, you belong.